Welcome to the How to Write a Book podcast, the show that helps you plan, write, and publish your book, even if you're a beginner or just feel like one. Now, for your host, she's written over a dozen books and helps others bring their books to life. Here she is, Maciel. Hello, hello, and welcome, dear writer, to the How to Write a Book podcast. I'm your host, Maciel Valenzuela, and thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode. So, um, this is a trigger warning. Uh, so, the interview that we are going to have um, is with the fabulous Keeper Katran Whitney, who wrote Helplessness. And the book involves what do brothers face when they come upon the realization that their sisters have been sexually abused by their parents. So in this interview, we are going to talk about many traumatic um, events um, that him and his family have faced. So that's going to include abuse, um, child abuse, um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse. Um, and I wanted to give you a heads up. So listener caution. Um, and for those of you who do dive in, uh, we are going to tackle um, not only the process of writing something hard, but how to go through it and how to come out of it. So thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Okay. Welcome. Welcome to the How to Write a Book podcast. I'm your host, Maciel. And today we have an amazing special guest, Keeper Katran Whitney. Thank you so much for joining us. Yay. I am so happy to have you. Um, so the introduction that I have in this episode, um, straight up, we're going to be talking about some difficult topics today. You know, we're talking about, as mentioned, we're talking about abuse on multiple levels. Um, and it's going to be a super amazing topic because Keeper, your book is powerful. So before we dive in, let's do a little bit of an introduction. Keeper Katran Whitney has written um, a three book series in which I just wrapped up reading um, Helplessness right? Helplessness. And uh, you are the lone voice speaking on trauma of between brothers who learn that their sisters have been sexually assaulted by their parents. It is a deep topic. It is a wonderful topic to discuss because um, like you've mentioned in your book, it tears apart families. But Keeper, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Can you introduce and say, you know, where you're from, what, how this book came about? Let me give it over to you. Oh, sure. Marcel, first of all, thanks for having me on. I have been looking so forward to this day. It is it's great to be here. It really is. Uh, like I said, my name is Keeper Catherine Whitney. I am a brother who's who learned that his sister has been sexually abused in our home. And to give some context, my family, uh, we were very popular singers in L.A. at the time. And we were days away from signing the largest new artist contract with Motown Records. And Motown had lost the Jackson 5 to Epic three years earlier. And they were searching for this group, this family to replace them. And we were chosen to be that. And days away from doing it, we were called into a family meeting, which I assume was going to be, we're signing on this day. But that is not what happened. What happened was a series of events that no brother could ever prepare themselves for or ever imagine what happened. I learned that my stepfather had been sexually abusing my sisters for years. 
and knew absolutely nothing about it. And uh, I also learned at that time in this 10 minute span that my mother knew about it and did nothing to stop it. And so there begins this journey for a brother of, first of all, being knocked backward, just totally off balance, off kilter, my world flipped upside down, 180 degrees, because I'm looking at relationships between brothers and sisters that we knew could never be broken. There was no way. In fact, I was talking to my sister about it a couple of days ago. She was saying, there's no way anyone could break us. And this was just a couple of days ago. And she's saying that there was no way that was going to happen. But in this 10 minute span, relationships between brothers and sisters that were rock solid crumbled and they lay on the floor. And for a brother who did not know what was going on, which is very different than my sisters who were in the middle of it, there was no one for us to talk to. And the pain and the guilt and the shame, simply because you did not know, and there was nothing that we could do about it, brings on this whole level of PTSD because the people that we needed to speak to in that moment, my sisters told us they wanted nothing to do with us, even though we knew absolutely nothing about it. And so my book series, which book one, Helplessness, just came out earlier this year. I'm now in the middle of writing, thank you, uh, uh, Hopefulness. And then happiness, hopefulness will be about how do you pull yourself out of the darkness? How do you lift yourself up from a void that has absolutely no handles, that has nothing that you could grab onto, but you've got to figure out a way to lift yourself up. Otherwise, you just continue going down, down, down. And you look for those people, places and things, those events present and in the past that can bring you forward. And so that's what hopefulness is about, uh, which I said, I'm, I'm writing right now. And then a couple of years from now, I will dive into happiness, which is where my life is now. Does it mean it's perfect? Does it mean it is not fraught with emotional trauma just from memory and things like that? No, but it means I, and this is the key to all of this, chose to go forward. I chose not to forget, but to use what happened to me as a catalyst to improve my life as opposed to letting it bring me down. And so that's why the book series is called From Helplessness to Hopefulness to Happiness. And now I've become uh, a speaker. I speak on the topic. I am <laughs> An author, I'm asked to speak all the time. I'm on radio shows, podcasts. I am preparing for my uh, TEDx talk right now. And uh, I am uh, looking forward to spending a lot more time with you, Fazio, going forward to help me uh, bring this journey and this message for brothers that we are not alone because we are never asked. We're shunted to the side, basically. It's as though our feelings don't matter. And we're never asked, are you okay? Do you need to talk? Is there something you need? We hear the narrative from everyone else. My surviving sisters, the predators, 
my mother who empowered, we hear their narrative all the time, but no one ever asks the brothers, are you okay? What do you need? Because, you know, Mazia, we'll we'll get into this more and more and more, but there's just a lot to it. And uh, there needs to be some space for brothers to step in and become uh, voices because we can become allies for our sisters if we are invited into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, one of the other notes about yourself is that you recently were welcomed as a speaker board member of a very important organization, correct? Yes, yes. RAIN, uh, Rape, Incest, and Abuse National Network. Uh, it is the largest sexual abuse network in the United States. In fact, they are partnered with the Department of Homeland Security mm-hmm. uh, as their official hotline, uh, which one of the largest organizations in the world on sexual abuse and trauma. And I've been invited and certainly accepted being uh, one of the RAIN uh, member uh, speakers. Uh, so I, it's, it's, it's just been an honor because one of the things that they learned is that there is no one talking about the impact on brothers. You know, um, because as you look around, there are no books, there are no documentaries, there are no movies, there are no magazines. There's absolutely nothing for brothers. Mm-hmm. There are thousands of articles and things for women as well as they should be, mm-hmm. because uh, men have historically been very, at the very best, not kind, at the very worst, horrible. Mm-hmm. around sexual abuse to women. And so, of course, there should be more. But there are other people, I was telling my wife, because six years before my sisters were sexually abused, my older brother and I, we were sexually abused by our babysitter almost daily for six months. So I say that not to say that it is more important. One is neither more important than the other. I say that to say is I understand both sides of the sexual abuse coin. I understand being the damage because my babysitter made sure that happened. And also understand being the collateral damage as a brother. So my perspective, uh, I don't know that it's unique in the sense that I'm the only one. I have, in fact, I'm like I said, I'm my older brother. So I'm definitely not, not the only one. But I am unique in the sense that I can talk about both sides and am talking about both sides. Yeah, I, I 100%. I mean, and, and going back to what you were saying that there's no space for brothers. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It feels like the narrative, you know, whether that's in stories or um, TV their narrative is always like if the brother is even part of the picture, mm. he is distant or he doesn't, you know, support or, you know, maybe he's he, at best, he's like a shoulder to cry on, but we never actually get to see that perspective, the true mm-hmm. human perspective of what's going on with the brothers, you know, that never pops up. Right. And you, right. you totally dive into that. And well, I'm, it is a, if we're really going to have this conversation and be truthful and honest about it, 
we have to look at it from the perspective of how everyone in the family is impacted. Mm-hmm. Because my sisters who were sexually abused for years before we found out, I had no idea that what was impacting them was actually impacting their relationships with their brothers. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know it. But there were changes taking place that I can now identify from when they were five years old to when they were in their teens, where their relationships with me changed mm-hmm. simply because of my gender proximity mm-hmm. to the person who was sexually abusing them. Just that gender proximity, yeah. male, boys, it's the same thing. I, well, that's what I told my wife. It's because of what's between my legs that makes me not an ally, but it makes me an enemy. An enemy, yeah. And we we brothers are survivors in this as well. We mm-hmm. have to be. And so uh, I think that in order for the conversation to be to really benefit everyone, sisters, brothers, uh, even parents knowing about and paying attention to really being aware of what's going on. You have to you have to heal the whole family. You can't heal three fourths of it. You can't heal one quarter of it. You have to heal everyone. And the people that are most vulnerable are the children. So that's those are the people you really need to focus on the sisters without question and the brothers, because we can be allies in this fight and help each other. Yeah, absolutely. And and you you again, like you can be an ally. And I think your book has even shown like you can be that bridge because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I understood from your book was that your, your bravery to face what had happened and the bravery of your brothers and sisters to hear you ignite, hear you be that pivot, that bravery fueled your bravery to lead to one of the most climactic moments of the book, you know, which is the beginning and the end of the book. And I don't want to spoil it too much, but, but to face your past, you know? Yeah. The, the past can be so many things for us. It can lift us up. It can lead us toward triumph. It can lead us toward victory. It can lead us towards empowerment. It can lead us towards healing. It can be so many wonderful things. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, Maciel, what it does do is it takes us back to trauma. Mm-hmm. It takes us back to pain. And we find that it's so much easier to occupy that space. I don't want to say live in, but occupy that space because that space allows us to be which it was for me, it allowed me to be a victim. Mm -hmm. You know, it allowed me to pity me. Mm -hmm. And where it, it, that type of view, that type of acceptance of who you are can be emotionally and spiritually suffocating to the point for me, I did not talk to my sisters about this for 45 years. In large part, because the day we found out, the day we thought we were going to sign this mega contract with Motown and 
you know, we went on to do some wonderful things. We made Billboard magazine a few times. We were TV shows. We traveled. We did all sorts of stuff. But at the end of the day, what we ended up getting was, even though we continued to try to do things together because we were so incredibly poor. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to 11 grade schools before I graduated high school. I was homeless three times. I lived in 21 different places before I even got married around 24, 25. And that type of trauma coupled with learning that your sister's like I said, it can just take you to a place where you just want to throw up your hands and say, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's too much. Uh, the emotional, uh, uh, the emotional pounding uh, can be so stifling, but we have to figure out a way to go forward. And like I said, 45 years of not talking to my sisters, I was talking to my sister the other day and I said, it is amazing to me that I begin to began to figure things out here, how we choose to do and choose not to do something, which is still choice. I didn't talk to you for 45 years about this. And I'm thinking that, okay, they don't want to talk to me and I don't definitely want to bring it up, but that's a choice. Mm-hmm. I chose not to talk to you about it. And people will say for so many, for so long, I don't have enough time. This is taking too long. I need this to happen now. And it occurred to me, Marcel, that I gave myself permission for 45 years. I'm like, damn. If I can give myself 45 years uh, permission to not do something, I can give myself a few moments, a few months, a few years to achieve something. And I needed to do that. And so I took the time. To write helplessness, which took me 10 years to mm-hmm. write. And and you're not the only person who wrote in this book. You got your brothers, uh, some of your brothers and your sisters to contribute too. Oh my gosh. This this book is different in so many ways. First of all, it's from a brother's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. There, 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 there's nothing out there from a brother's perspective. But when I started writing this, I said, you know what would be great is if I could get some of my sisters and some of my brothers to contribute. I know my brothers will probably say yes, but my sisters are going to say, oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. I am not going back there. But three of them said yes. Mm-hmm. And they three of them have contributed sections to the book. Three. Oh, my gosh. And then two brothers have also contributed. So you get this family view in a way you have never read or experienced a family view. I, I'm, I'm so happy that, that you brought that up because I don't know what in me made me decide to ask them because I, I just knew they were going to say no. And then the powder keg was going to be blown off the roof and smoke and fire. And I'm going to be engulfed in flame. That yeah. you did this, you did that. You could have blah, 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 blah. And they just said, yes, I will contribute. Of course I will. Woo. So the, the view is yes, it's from a brother's perspective, but you get three sisters 
and you get two brothers who contribute sections to the book. Very mm-hmm. different and from a clinical standpoint, from a law enforcement standpoint, from a, uh, a, a, a legislative standpoint, a school standpoint, religious standpoint. You get mm-hmm. something you have never read before in such a great uh, uh, context. Yeah. And and it's exactly as you said, like, I mean, I was reading it and you can hear the difference in their voices and how they might even like how far they want to keep it, but still how brave they are to step yeah. up to the plate, you know? Yeah. yeah, definitely my heroes. I think we should tell people this is not an easy read. Right. Mm-hmm. Not by any stretch. It is gritty. It is ugly. Parts of it is very dark. Parts of it, you're going to start to read it. You're going to say, I need to set this down. As one person uh, on this particular call, Maciel, said, I need to set this thing down. I need to breathe. Everyone that has read this book has said, Keeper, you don't give us a chance to breathe. I mean, you are on us on this thing. And I said, well, Obviously, I, I I did it on purpose. This is not a People magazine article. Right. <laughs> this is not your typical documentary. And the reason why I don't want to give people a chance to breathe, because anyone who is in the throes of being sexually abused or in the throes of some trauma, do you get a chance to breathe? Mm-hmm. No, you don't. And right. so... I looked at it as my sisters did not get a chance to breathe. Mm -hmm. Why do I deserve a chance to breathe? Mm -hmm. I am going to give it to you hard. I'm going to give it to you real. And I will let you decide uh, how this impacts you. Uh, And usually how it impacts people is they say, I need to step back and reevaluate who I am and what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, sisters and brothers say, I need to call my sister. I need to call my brother. Mm -hmm. Because this thing really opened up some stuff for me that I thought I had put in a box and tucked away deep in the closet on the top shelf. (laughs) Way over there. (laughs) Yeah, lockbox of the kid. I thought I tossed it in the ocean. No, no, this, this book is designed to let you know what a brother's experiencing and at the same time imagining what our sisters are going through at the time yeah and after i did that one of my sisters read it she said what you imagined was happened to me you were exactly on point Mm -hmm. she said "I, i i didn't tell you but what you wrote about what happened to me we were living in this house in wellington and the cocoa butter and the dot 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 that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. You got it. And because it's easy for a brother to imagine what is happening to our sisters. And there are times when to this day, I'm like, I yeah. missed it. Didn't see it. Mm-hmm. Didn't see it. And, you know, tears just start to form. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, when we first started talking and you, you know, exactly said like, this is, this book doesn't let you breathe. And yeah, like, I mean, it took me, <laughs> Keeper, you know, it took me a long time to get to this book because, and we talked about, um, you know, we said, uh, okay, 
do I have a history of like sexual trauma? And we we're like, yeah, okay. So like, be careful as you walk through it. And so I was like, you know, a little bit like, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Can I do this? Um, and reading it, I was, you know, on a switching sides, right. As both somebody who has experienced some of that in the past, but then also as like an editor, a book editor, wondering, okay, how much of this do we need? How much of this do, do is actually necessary for the reader? And as I went through the book, you know, I was anticipating that I was like, well, maybe it wouldn't need, you know, that much detail. But at the end of it, it's exactly as you said, it's like, we need to be there because the emotional trauma is happening. The details of what's happening, the gravity, it's powerful. And it's not just, it's not just like the sinking of the whole for the sake of the sinking of the whole. You experience, and there's also that catharsis with the pain. And it was mm-hmm. just so well done, Keeper. I mean, like, I mean, it, the balance of you, your emotions, your sister's emotions. I mean, it not only took me there, but it helped me to see and to be like, you know, this conversation needs to happen. It needs yeah. to happen. It cannot be for later, for later, for later, you know? So, yeah, everything's for later. And you saying that for later, for later, how many women have been sexually abused since the beginning of time? Mm-hmm. And told, you need to talk about that later. Mm-hmm. We'll deal with this later. Now is not the time. Right. How many little girls have been told, well, you're going to have to wait? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to hear it now. Mm-hmm. It's always later, later, later for women. Mm-hmm. And then it's always later, later, later for just about anyone who has been in some sort of trauma. And every time you hear later, what do you hear? You hear, my feelings don't matter. Yeah. My emotions and my opinions don't matter. I don't matter. And mm-hmm. it becomes about them, the people telling you later, because they don't want to hear it, because who knows what's in their past. Mm-hmm. But we need we need the help now. And for my sisters, they needed the help now and the person who could help them my mother decided she was not she decided she was going to empower my stepdad which incidentally is what happened to me and my older brother six years before i went to my mom and i told her what was going on with the babysitters and with our babysitter and the response was there's nothing i can do about it now which is to say later Mm -hmm. but the trauma you know the attacks just kept on coming so this, this is very different. Uh, but at the end of the day, helplessness is about giving brothers a voice. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes when I'm, when I'm speaking, I'm asked, okay, Keeper, what is it? What are like two of the things that we need to know about brothers in this process? And my response is, is, is the thing. It's, we're not invited into the conversation, mm-hmm. which is number one. But then the, the second shoe drops. And the second shoe drops is we are held accountable or asked to be accountable for something we know nothing about. Right. And how, how do you do those? I have a, uh, I, I have a sister who, who has told me that unlike us girls, you boys chose to carry this burden. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, no, we, we didn't choose to carry anything. 
once we were told about it, we now have to carry the water. Mm -hmm. We're either going to carry it uphill and try to get over this hump, or the water is going to be too heavy, but it's going to continue to sink further and further back. But no one, be you are the victim, the direct victim, or the indirect victim, chooses to carry something like this. There is Mm -hmm. no way. Mm-hmm. And I've been told even by, you know, a sister or two that I'm the villain here simply mm-hmm. because I wanted to share what has happened in the hope that it could help other sisters and brothers and families. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is, it's really odd, Maciel, because we can, in these situations, to try to elevate our trauma over someone else's trauma mm-hmm. in order to make our trauma greater or more important when in fact they are the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and and speaking of victims as brothers, victims, you learned from one of the events inside your book in the Lisa Nicole's 2013 um, event of all the brothers who had taken their own lives because of the same situations. Yeah. Yeah. And 20, 13, I went to San Diego to a Lisa Nichols event. For those who don't know, she's a very, very, very powerful speaker and, and, and author. Mm-hmm. And that's when all of this really came forward. I had gone there to write one book. Her, her event was how to write a book in 20 minutes, how to create the framework and the outline to do it. And in that event, I was called on and I told people what I wanted to write about which was this book, which is completely different than the book I intended to write, but it just came out. It just came pouring out. There was no controlling it. And after I said what I said, I went and I sat down at my uh, desk and I was surrounded by women. Um, It was so unexpected. I was just looking up what's going on here. But but the women were saying, I wish my brother had heard what you just said. Mm-hmm. I wish my uh, brother could have been here. And I didn't know what to do, Maciel. So I literally got up out of my chair and I ran to the back of the room and went through the double doors and went into the hallway to breathe because I was just hyperventilating. What was that? And then the doors just burst open. Mm-hmm. And more and more women surrounded me. And there were three women who, whose stories really had an impact that, and really affirmed that I needed to write this. And those were three women who said their brothers committed suicide because they didn't know what was happening to their sisters and the pain of not knowing and the shame of not being able to help them drove them to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. And I like, wow, um, that's really deep because I know what that feels like, you know, in, in the book, uh, I confront my stepfather mm-hmm. and I give him 24 hours to leave the house. And I tell him, if you don't leave this house in 24 hours, you will be dead because I will have killed you. Mm-hmm. And that's because the pain was so bad. I mean, my pain, a lot of it came from not doing something sooner. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say a lot of this book is, is, is about what we brothers have to do. The challenge of what do we do? How do we do? When do we do? Why do we do? 
and finding comfort in, in, you know what? I got time. I can handle this. Mm -hmm. There is no time. Mm -hmm. you, you, you have to handle it. And uh, so those, those stories and those women surrounding me saying, yeah, you need to go forward. And interestingly enough, uh, after Lisa Nichols heard what I wrote about, she stood in front of the audience and she said, this is going to be one of the greatest books ever written. You have to write this book. This is going to be a best-selling book. You have to write this book. And 10 years later, I finally got it done because it was really hard to write. Yeah. And that's, so that's going to lead me to like my main question. But before I go into there, you said you had a different book in mind. What was your original book going to be about? I was really big in network marketing, mm -hmm. in direct selling. I, you know, those are companies like Herbalife and Amway and Mary Kay and Avon. So I was really big. And I have a lot of entertainment background experience. And so I know what you need to do to speak to a younger, more diverse market. So I decided, you know, let me write a book around that because mm. this industry could be so pale. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it could be so pale and so ultra conservative that they choose not to invite certain groups as often and in ways that they should. So that's what I went there to write about. Uh, I had already started, created a, a online, uh, um, magazine called Distributor Magazine, which did very, very well. So I went to the Lisa Nichols thing to write about that. And when I was called on, okay, Keeper, what's your book about? That idea quickly went to the back. And what came forward was the story of my sisters and me as a brother. It, that's where helplessness came out. Mm -hmm. That was it. And it's been no turning back ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. And um, so, you know, as we kind of talked about, um, you know, about this book and, you know, when this book, why this book, one of the things I wanted to really ask you, and this is, pertains, I think, to the audience and some of my clients is going into this dark place. You know, you have something you need to face and it's part of your past. It's part of your hurt and your pain. And there are so many people out there who have stories that need to be shared like yours. But when they get to that page, it's hard, right? It's hard to go in and it's hard to come out. So I would, I would love to know, like, how did you do it? You know, how did you face it? How did you pull out of that, you know? Well, you said something just now really interesting uh, and so true. It's hard to go in and it's hard to come out. I think the order of which you said it is absolutely correct. You know what's in there. You know where you have to go. You know where you need to go. And this is, as you said, for writers and your clients and stuff. You know it. You know it here. Mm -hmm. There is no doubt. You have thought about it. For months, for years, you know it. And so you go in. And there, in the darkness, kind of reminds me of Star Wars, uh, when Luke has to go in and uh, Yoda says, okay, you need to go into that cave 
there's something waiting for you in there. And Lucas like, what, what, what? And Yoda just put his head down because he knows this is the moment of truth. You either will go to the dark side or you will become a Jedi. Mm -hmm. And so Luke goes in there, right? And so we have to go in there. Because we know what's waiting for us. The challenge is going to be, how do we get out? Mm -hmm. Going in can be easy of the two, easier of the two. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. But it's the getting out. For me, that was the challenge. Because this raised so many more questions and so many more memories just came flooding in that I was not expecting. And I was forced to confront every aspect, every failure, every shame, every guilt, every woulda, coulda, shoulda that could possibly arise. More than I ever thought could, could happen. But that's where we have to go. And for me, if I was going to deliver something for the audience that was going to be meaningful, if readers were going to get anything out of this that was going to be helpful, I had to be willing to strip away every wall, strip away every, uh, uh, metaphorically speaking, garment I am wearing that was, that was protecting me from the pain and the guilt. I had to just let it go. And I had to essentially go in and just be naked about the whole thing. And what I found was, I can, I can do this. I may have to take little steps here and there, and I may need to back up, which I backed up a lot. I pushed away from writing this sometimes for days, for weeks, because it was so hard. But I knew what I had to do. I knew people needed to hear this. I knew people needed to read this. And so, like you said, the going in and the coming out, that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of, are you really committed to this dream of bringing your voice forward? And I went in. I, I have a, a, a story because I, I had this, like I said, well, I started writing this in 2013. I finished it and uh, ultimately finished it uh, uh, in 2023. We got a German shepherd, Sophia, a blonde German shepherd, a month before I started writing this book. Two weeks after I finished it, Sophie passed. Mm -hmm. And my thought is Sophie was here to help me get through this. Mm -hmm. Wherever I went in the house, she followed me from day one. And she was like this spirit guide, right? She was like my guardian angel. You can do this. I'm going to be with you. If I wrote at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, she was right there all the time, just sitting by my feet. I didn't, I didn't train her to do it. She just did it. And she helped me get through it. And the reason why I bring this up, there may be difficulty in writing your story, the one you know you need to write the one you know we need to hear, need to read. You may have to have that, that person, that, that thing that can help you get through it because it will be difficult at times. And 
part of my difficulty was interviewing my sisters for the book. Yeah, I, oh, I have, I, I'm, I'm going to interview them, and I said, "Would you be open to to talking to me, and I could put it in the book?" It took. I would get ready to pick up the phone. Okay, I'm doing this today, but lifting that thousand pound receiver, yeah, picking up my cell phone would take me a month to go from here to here because yeah. I was so afraid. And the fear is me. And as you said, that is part of coming out on the other side. So you have to do it. You must bring your story forward for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it's funny, like, it's not funny, but you're, you're talking about the phone and the receiver. And you you literally, you talk about it in your book, that moment of complete just darkness. You would hit this wall. All the emotions are hitting you. You were at your all time low in yeah. the book. And your sister calls you. That's it's- the part you're talking about. I'm thinking, she, she, she talking about that. Yeah. Um, I'm writing the book. And um, I get to a point. Now, I know my sisters have been sexually abused by my stepfather. And I'm like, wow, here we go again. And then I get to a part where I'm writing about my two youngest sisters. They're twins. And as I'm writing, I'm thinking, wait a minute. He did not get to them because I stopped him. Mm -hmm. What is this? He he only got to the first two. Intellectually, I knew that. But it hit me emotionally. And I'm thinking, no, no. He got to them. He got to them. I failed them, too. And I just started going down. And down and down. I kind of describe it in the book as the atmospherics in the room, the the clouds, the storm clouds just start circling uh, around the ceiling, and like it's just getting darker and darker because emotionally I am being pulled down. Because for some reason, emotion. I'm thinking, okay, my two youngest sisters, the twins. They made it through knowing they did not, but it was the first time it emotionally hit me. And I'm just a mess. I am crying. I'm in tears. Sophie is next to me and she has no idea what's going on. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. And then the phone rings. And I'm thinking, okay, my wife's going to answer the phone. I am not answering the phone. I'm not emotionally ready to answer the phone. But for some reason, this time she does not answer the phone. She's normally the first person to answer the phone. And I'm like, damn. I look at the phone and it says, my sister. I'm like, no, no, no. So I pick up the phone and I say, hello. And she says, yo, hey, dude, what's going on? Uh, I was just calling and talk. I, and I said, I can't talk right now. And she says, you're okay? 
And I said, no, I'm not okay. Then my wife opens the office door and looks at me. And her face went from a smile to, what's going on? Because she sees me in tears. And all I could do was like, I can't talk to you now. Go, go. No, no, no. And she's like, what? What? I said, no, no, no. I can't. I can't do it. And she backs away and closes the door. And my sister says, are you okay? And I said, no, I am not okay. I just realized that the two youngest, he got to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking he only got to you and our oldest sister, but he got to all four of you. Mm -hmm. And she says, dude, it's okay. And I said, no, it's not okay. I thought I had saved them. Mm -hmm. I thought everything I had done after I'd already failed, I thought I at least saved them. And she said, it's okay. There was nothing you can do about it because she started on them the same time he started on me. It's just that the twins didn't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. And I was an absolute mess. I was in such a dark place. Mm -hmm. I was just ready for me to be gone. Mm -hmm. I was ready for it to just be, I, I, I have just failed everyone in this process. I've let my sisters down. I didn't handle it. And um, it was the worst day of my life. Mm -hmm. But my sister, her call, Save me. Mm -hmm. You know, just this fortuitous out of nowhere call. Because why would she call me just to say, hey, dude, what's going on? At that moment, it could have been five minutes earlier. It would have been great. Mm -hmm. Could have been an hour later. It would have been even better. But she called me then. And she cast me a lifeline and pulled me back up mm -hmm. again. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I bring this up is because you, you, you face this mountain of what you consider failure in that moment. And, but in the book, you talk about how it's not your failure. It really is the failure of the people who failed you, but mm. as victims, you know, just across the board, not only do you, you often blame yourself for what happened, but you, you carry on the burden of everyone else who's been affected and everything you didn't do or everything you did do, you know, a thousand ways you can be split into pieces. Right. And you're facing this right now, but here you are keeper here at this moment with a book, carrying the voices of your brothers and sisters and being this, this powerful, empowered person. So the reason I bring this up is now you're standing here, right? And the people who also will face the blank page, they're going to go in and they're going to be like, I'm going to go into this dark place. How will I get out? But you're proof that you can get out, that you can be empowered, right? And I just want to highlight that because so many people might feel like they won't have a lifeline and we don't know how their lifelines will come in, but you made it through and that's powerful. 
And, and, and I just want to take that moment to be like, mm. the victims can be empowered. And did you feel that at all? Did you feel like the catharsis? Was there a catharsis on the other side of that? How was it for you? It, there were so many moments of catharsisism in, in this process, mm-hmm. but there was nothing more cathartic for me than when my sister called. Like I said, it, it, just, it just happened because I was going down. And once I hung up and I got myself together, there was this acceptance of the failures that I did and the guilt and the shame, but then recognizing that because I am writing about it, there's triumph in this effort. Mm -hmm. There's me saying I'm a survivor. You do not have power over me. I refuse to give you another ounce of emotional control. Mm -hmm. And so shackles just began to fall away. As I said, I have a, a support with Sophie, our German shepherd, uh, obviously my wife, sister, uh, uh, sisters who were willing to uh, uh, to participate and contribute along with my uh, older brother and my older half brother in Portland. But the 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 cathartic moment was literally me just taking a deep breath. Okay. That's as bad as it's going to get. Now I can make my way through. I can keep going forward because mm-hmm. you have to have that. It's going to happen. And it's probably going to happen more than once, mm-hmm. especially if you're speaking your truth. Mm-hmm. If you're speaking from your heart and you are speaking in a way that you are no longer afraid because there will be people because it happened to me multiple times. Oh, you don't want to write about this. You're a brother. What do you know? You have no idea what us women go through. You don't get a say in the in this. And what do you mean I don't get a say? Mm-hmm. I'm a brother who's been impacted. And so I've had multiple women tell me that you don't get a say in it. And it is not until I tell them, well, something else you might want to know is that I was sexually abused as well. And then that changes it for them. But the odd thing is it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Knowing that I was sexually abused before my sister should not impact whether or not I have a a voice in the conversation. Right. But once you embrace your voice, once you accept who you are, and it, as I say, it is now part of my DNA. There's no escaping it. Mm-hmm. I'm either going to let it control me or I'm going to control it unless you are willing to just get there. No, mm-hmm. I'm strong enough. I have everything I need to write this, to be this, and I will be so much better and so much stronger for me and everyone else I know. I am good. Marcia, it, it just, the shackles just started coming off. It just started coming off. And it, 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 it is such an interesting process because I have a couple of uh, 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 sisters who are still trying to figure out, and they have asked me, what you're such a different person after you wrote it. Like, yeah, because I accepted it. I embraced it because I recognize what is going on. And then I was able to go forward and they still are trying to figure out 
should they embrace it in the same way? And I'm telling them, like I like I tell everyone else, of course. Because if you don't, your power is being controlled by something or someone else. You really, if I could tell any writer anything, embrace who you are and don't don't listen to anybody else. Just do what you need to do. Because at the end of the day, it's really for you. Mm-hmm. It really became about. I can now be the brother that I once was before learning about what happened. I, mm-hmm. I, I am back to him again. I could be strong for my sisters and I have great relationships with my sisters now. That is so great. And and that's something I was going to ask you too, is, um, you know, you said, you know, you went like, 40 years while you're talking about it, some of your relationships with them were not ideal. And now, you know, you're here, you're talking about it. You have this open space between each other. And before we started um, our call, you mentioned something really interesting. One of your sisters, she hasn't, um, I don't don't think I understand she's written her, her book yet, but she did contribute to your book. And she was telling you about how the PTSD had affected the relationships between her children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. She has a copy of the book. It's on her coffee table. She's had it for weeks. And she said, I have been so afraid to to read this. Mm -hmm. It is a monumental piece of work. The fact that you wrote this, I am so incredibly proud of you. But what I know of what's in that book, mm-hmm. it's not so much what you wrote. Because I've heard from other people who've read it, and they say it's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. It's that I know what I have been shielding myself from what I have been protecting myself from, once I start reading it, I'm going to have to accept what it, what I know to be true. And so I found that even without writing the book, with some of my uh, uh, children, as I react to some of the things they may say or do, is directly related to what happened to me. And I find myself saying, whoa, wait a minute. That's my past life impacting my relationship with them. It was like that for me for a long time. When when my wife and I got married, uh, my mother had given us our my stepfather's last name, which was Parent. And so we were Catherine Parent. And as this just really started to weigh on me. Mm-hmm. I noticed every time I saw my son's name on a report card or I'm filling out some cat and filling out some application, I'm having to write Catherine Parent. I noticed how it was beginning to impact my relationship with him. And he's three or four years old. Mm-hmm. Just because I have to say his name, Catherine Parent, it's like, oh, I hate that name. I hate that name. But I could sense what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I decided to go my mother's maiden name, which is Whitney, which is how we get to Catherine Whitney. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I bring that up is because it was very much like my sister. What was going on with some of the things that were conversations she may have been having with her children was being directly 
impacted by what happened to her. Mm-hmm. And I noticed the same thing with me and my son. It's like, oh, this is not good. This is not good at all. But finally, uh, I was able to recognize what was going on. Because the whole PTSD thing with this is PTSD, you will notice the high-level impact of it, which is to mean things that are top of mind that's right in front of you. I'm angry today. I'm mad today. I don't want to do this. And I know why, because you remind me of this. This song reminds me of that. This movie reminds me of that. I notice how you're walking. You remind me of blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Those are, those are front of mind. Those are, those are the high level stuff because it's right in front of you. It's Mm -hmm. the PTSD that manifests itself in other ways that you don't recognize what's happening. Mm-hmm. And the PTSD for me that I did not recognize, and obviously for my sister as well, was how it was impacting our relationship with our children. It was mm-hmm. a silent killer. It was destroying stuff. It was just getting in the way. And these are innocent. Mm-hmm. Just like I'm an innocent brother, she's an innocent sister who's been molested and abused. It becomes generational. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about handing down this trauma to our children who don't know any better. They don't know what's going on. And then they absorb it. It becomes part of them. And then, of course, what are they going to do? They're going to pass it down to the next generation. They're going to pass it on to their kids. And that's how this stuff perpetuates. Mm -hmm. We, We have got to get to a point where we speak out about it, be loud. And proud. If we can have a Black Lives Matter movement, if we can have a women's movement, we can have a movement around child sexual abuse because it is a worldwide epidemic. Mm-hmm. It's in the church. It's in politics. It's in schools. It's 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 just it's it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. But no one wants to talk about it because you don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics and you don't talk about uh, sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. But but those are the most important conversations to have. And, and and gosh, I mean, one of the things that that oh, I, you you're the people that you encountered right in your journey, their reactions. I completely saw it playing out hundreds, thousands, of millions of times. You know, I've seen it. You know, the next door neighbor seen it, and you and I think that you take that minute for us to be like, hold on. Yeah, that's exactly how that person would react, or this this mm-hmm. people would react. And then you're like, that is not the right way that we should be reacting. But it's yeah. exactly as you said, it's like systemic. It's like the whole society is just groomed to say, this is how you should be. And like you said, yeah. it's not the victim first. It's protecting the assaulter or the accomplices first. Yeah, yeah. And it's you don't quite, if you're not uh, like awakened to that, you're like, oh my gosh. What you end up, what you end up becoming by choice or not is you end up becoming, as I read the book, you end up becoming their protective detail. Mm -hmm. You are protecting Mm -hmm. them. You know, they're, they're the spider in the center of this vast web. Aunts knew what was going on to us. Uncles knew what was going on to us. Grandparents knew what was happening to us. And none of them did a thing. Yeah. People in business knew what was happening to us. And none of them did a thing. And as each level from 
aunts not knowing, the web grows. Uncles not knowing, the web grows. Rather not doing anything, the web grows. Grandparents not growing, it gets bigger, bigger, and bigger. The web just gets larger and larger and larger. One of my brothers in high school was being uh, 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 sexually tracked mm -hmm. by his male teacher who kept trying to get him to come home with him. Mm -hmm. And my mother went to the school. This is the one time she stepped up and did do something, probably because she saw it as, oh, I can't have my son in the middle of a gay relationship, but it's okay for my for my, uh, uh, for my for the stepdad to do what he's doing. But she marched up to the school and the school knew and they had a meeting with LAUSD and LAUSD said was, well, we're going to move him to a different school, which because the school's union came in to protect him. And so that web grew larger and larger and larger. Now it became the school knew, LAUSD knew, the LAUSD union knew, and none of them did a thing. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger as these predators continued to feed on everyone mm -hmm. who knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone who would not step up and do a thing. Mm -hmm. Not not good. Not good mm -hmm. at all. No. No. And it's almost like people are conditioned. And, it, and it's, it's exactly like yeah. we you and I, we talked about this, the trauma that happened in my family. And the reaction was, you know, the patriarch of the family said, well, let's not Let's not do anything because it's it's which going to disrupt the family. But Keeper, you hit the nail on the head, which is the trauma isn't just isolated. Like and and your book talks about this, and it, it is this in that we're all in this together. We are, whether somebody wants to accept it or not, or be an accomplice or not. Like when the brother is affected, when the sister is affected, we can try to heal ourselves, but the web is so much bigger than that. It's trickling yeah. no matter what. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, it's as we just talked about, it becomes generational. Mm -hmm. And that's a scary thought when you stop and think about it. Mm -hmm. Handing down your trauma around sexual abuse to your children, mm -hmm. to your grandchildren. And we ask ourselves, how come? This is not getting any better. It's because no one is really doing anything to help unless you have people writing articles, you mm -hmm. have people forming groups. Most legislative bodies want nothing to do with this. Right. You know, politicians, churches typically want absolutely nothing to do with this. Culpability, probably. There's some degree there. We have all seen it. It's all been documented. Mm -hmm. And so they end up spending more time trying to protect and save who they are because institutionally it has all been set up to protect them. Mm -hmm. That's part of the things with legislative and political and religious institutions. They are set up not typically to, to protect the constituents or the congregation. Their institutions in large part can be set up to protect those in leadership, those in charge. And when that happens like that, you do not get the necessary uh, uh, tools and systems to help you deal with the entire trauma. You may be able to get a little bit of help. But for brothers, 
There's not mm-hmm. even, you know, you got 12-step programs all over the place. There's not even a one-step program for brothers, mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. And for brothers to be given a voice that elevates, it brings it back to the family. If brothers can speak out, it helps the relationship with their sisters. Mm-hmm. It may help the relationship with the parent who did not know, mm-hmm. but is now aware of what's mm-hmm. going on. Because you don't want to get to where I was, which was I was 24 hours away from murdering mm-hmm. someone. And I had the instrument of his death in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I was about to commit premeditated murder. And I was, I got to tell you, I, you know, I was good with it because I was going to protect my sisters. It was finally going to end. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, that would have been even worse. Because <laughs> they would have blamed themselves for, for that too. It just would have made it worse. Mm-hmm. Right? The thing is, you have to speak up. And I, I, I would say the first step in the healing process is uh, not only acceptance and recognition of what's going on, but if you could find one person who you can talk to, mm-hmm. who can just let you talk, who brings no judgment, mm-hmm. who just lets you be you and is willing to embrace and give you, embrace you, give you a hug and tell you, I love you. Those people, those are the people that can help you the most. So if you're a writer and as you go into it, like you say, you need to go in there and find your way out. You're going to want to have that person who can help you come out. And sometimes that is a loved one. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes, mm-hmm. as in my case, it's your dog. It's mm-hmm. your cat. It might be your editor. It might be your publisher. It's mm-hmm. just someone who can let you just be free to be you. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we all want. We, we, we want to be who we are. And it's not easy when we have been conditioned to be what other people have told us to be and expect us to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the impact also of what you've, you've done here, I mean, it's tremendous because not only have you, you've, you've brought yourself to this trauma and of course there's still more to deal with, but you faced it, but now your sisters have a conversation. They have a platform. They can talk with their children. And that might never have happened if you hadn't said, I'm going to face this, this page written mm-hmm. down. Yeah, you know? you're, you're, you're so right. It may never have happened if I hadn't um, taken the time to do it. You mentioned uh, brave and courage and stuff. I, I don't look at it like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't look at it as me being brave. I look at it as me just being a brother who needed to say something. Yeah. Because as the as regrets go, mm-hmm. uh, there is no greater regret than me knowing I I could have and probably I, I could have done something mm-hmm. uh, earlier. Uh, because now. I look for and have gotten, quite frankly, the recognition from my sisters because I was like, is this going to be okay? Is this going to be enough? And they have each told me it is enough. And now my challenge is 
I have to be able to help as many brothers as I can and sisters as I can, because this is one thing I know and, and, and you know as well, and most of us watching this. Last night around one o'clock, some little girl or boy went to sleep after a long day of playing in the street, playing in the park, having ice cream and pie and just having a good time. Last night around one o'clock, someone opened their door and walked in. Mm -hmm. Tonight, around one o'clock, the same thing is going to happen. And tomorrow, around one o'clock in the morning, it will repeat itself. Because mm -hmm. that's when my father's favorite time to enter my sister's bedroom was after 12 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And when they come to you and tell you what has happened, don't brush it off. Don't say it's just the musings of children being uh, imaginative or, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Listen to what they have to say. Mm -hmm. Be willing to question. Are they right? Be willing to set aside your fear of, but what's this going to do to the family? Well, the fact is it has already done it to the family. Mm -hmm. You're only delaying the inevitable and in making things worse. Mm -hmm. Listen to what those children had to say, because no one listened to us. We were on our own. Yeah. And you don't want to go 40, 50 years of silence. You don't want to go 40, 50 years of hearing off in the distance. Didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we girls did this because that's what we were hearing for 40, 50 years. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do anything. Oh, they don't care. And you hear these things and they just they just they just eat away at your soul. Mm -hmm. You know, do something. Speak up. Act. Yeah. yeah. Act. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Keeper, um, not just for this wonderful interview, but also for your book. Um, you know, when I was done reading it, I realized that I felt also this platform open that I could talk about certain, to certain people who I hadn't talked to in a while about things in our past. And just you opening the door was like, okay, someone else opened the door. So you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go peek my head in, you know, which is before I wouldn't have done that. So, um, no, thank you for writing this. Um, now, one of the things that we've talked about is that I would love to have you back on the show because there's so much, there's so much that we have to cover, you know, <laughs> exactly. I love it. And so much that you're going through with your writing process and, and, and exactly how we talked about, it was like some of the writers who I help coach, you know, if they get to that and they're like, how do I come out? So I know we're going to have a lot more to cover. Um, one of the things I want to make sure is, is to give you the space here to talk about what's next for you. And also where can people find you follow the journey, find your book? Well, I would love to come back. Uh, my, it's funny. Someone wanted to know my process. All this is so new to me. You know, this, I'm, I'm, this is my first time writing anything. And so for someone to be curious about my process, my process was to just get through this damn thing. <laughs> You have to do that sometimes. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. You can do this. You can do this. That was my process. Uh, what's What's next for me is, uh, quite frankly, doing work with you, you know, to help put this thing out there in a big way like it should be. Uh, looking forward to doing that. 
Uh, you've got some fantastic ideas, wonderful ideas, some uh, uh, best practices. Uh, and then you have some things that we're looking at from a creative standpoint, which I think is amazing. Uh, people can learn more about me at KeeperKatrinWhitney.com. There you, there are free downloads. There's a 16-part podcast that I interviewed my my wife. I interviewed uh, sister, brother, my son about all of it. And we get deep into the weeds. In fact, my favorite part is a, is a two-hour conversation between me, one of my twin sisters, and my older brother that we had to break up into four different parts. I mean, we got into it. There were no holes barred. And but when we were all done, it was nothing but love. And so it's a great way for people to see the impact of my story with me and my wife, between me and my son, between me uh, and my brother, and then between me and my brother and my sister. I'm also uh, uh, one of the... Uh, head of the literary department from Arizona State, just absolutely loves this book. She says it's one of the most important books she has ever read. And she's been a head of the English department for years at Arizona State. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? I'm just trying to get through this thing. <laughs> so you can go to keepercatchingwhitney.com. Um, right now I am working on my uh, uh, TEDx talk uh, so we could bring this forward. Um, and what else? Um, I'm about elevating the voices of brothers. We need that space. Mm -hmm. Because with the book, hopefully for brothers, for men, it's to give them the opportunity to recognize they're not alone. Mm -hmm. You're not the only one feeling what you're feeling. I have also gone through and continue to go through because you're never done with it. Mm -hmm. You know, you just figure out a way to work with it more than anything. So it's to let men know you're not alone. There have been a number of stories recently of men <clears throat> talking about how they were sexually abused, which is not uncommon. What makes this different is this is from a brother's perspective of learning what happens to their sisters and letting people know we are in trauma. We need tools. We need systems. We need help. And are you willing to jump into the conversation with me and help find the solutions for brothers? Because here's here 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 here's one of the things, uh, my my CL, the help we receive or do not receive will have a direct impact on how we relate to women and to girls going forward. Mm -hmm. The help we receive or do not receive will put us on a trajectory, a positive uh, trajectory or a negative trajectory. We need the help. We need your assistance. We need your participation in helping to bring this conversation for brothers because it's about healing for the family, not just mm -hmm. about brothers, healing for the family and healing for the sisters, which is where me and my sisters are at. <laughs> we have great relationships now. And they were relationships I knew could never be put back together. Yeah. Yeah. And it, after reading your book, like, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, uh, you know, when we first started talking, 
I was like, I didn't understand. I was like, okay, let's, let's have the space, but I didn't quite see the web. And then afterwards, it's exactly as you said, it's like, if we just isolate one person, we're helping nobody, but getting to hear the brother's voice, that's opening the path for everyone. So, I mean, hit the nail on the head. Totally, totally. No, thank you so much, Keeper. Um, I'm looking forward to your next installment. I'm also looking forward to your TED Talk. That's awesome. Congratulations. Um, and also just congratulations overall. I mean, for um, for you, your work, what you faced, your brothers and sisters, what they faced, that they stepped up. I mean, congratulations on a whole. It's it's not easy. But here you are on the other side of book one. And that's amazing. I made it through. I went in and I made it through. Just exactly. like you said. <laughs> going in sometimes you see the entrance and you're like nope going back this hey, <laughs> girl you know i know <laughs> yeah you're uh, like oh my goodness, no i'm not going there no 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 okay i'm gonna put one toe in oops one that toe. was one toe too many <laughs> i'm gonna go watch netflix i'll come back for two toes we'll see <laughs> there you go there you go Awesome. Come back a month later. <laughs> yeah, literally. Oh, thank you so much, Keeper. I'm going to go ahead and wrap out this recording, um, but we're going to put your link, um, any of your other uh, websites also on the description. Everyone check out Keeper. Um, amazing, not just in your voice for the writing, but also just personally. It's been super great. Super awesome. And I'm available for speaking. Let's just put that out there. Yes, I will speak anywhere, anytime. Yes. I love that. And that's part of what we're going to be doing together. Getting you. Oh, yes. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Ride or die partners. Here we come. Let's do it. That's, that's what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. I'm going to wrap out this call. Everyone uh, again, Keeper, we're looking forward to more. Um, good luck and congratulations with your message and your journey. Thank you. Hey there, writer. Thank you for listening to the How to Write a Book podcast with your host, Masir Valenzuela. If you like the show, we'd be happy if you left a review. For more information on writing and the writer's life, go to www.themasiel.com. That's www.themasiel.com. We'll see you on the other side. <laughs>